Welcome to Shiftmakers with your host, author, and journalist, Marianne Schnall. Like the rest of the world, I was so sad to hear about the passing of the brilliant and legendary Maya Angelou back in 2014. Now, I have interviewed some pretty incredible people over the years, yet when people pose to me the very difficult question about who were some of my favorite interviews, I always mention Maya Angelou. As a writer and activist, I was always in awe of her, and for many years, she was on top of my bucket interview wish list, although I was never really convinced that it would actually happen. Back in 2008, I submitted the first interview request to her office, which was to be considered amongst her very busy schedule. And after almost a year passed, when I had pretty much forgotten I'd even submit a query, I received an email informing me of the date and time she would be able to talk to me. I was grateful and thrilled, and I must admit, a little bit nervous. Yet I shouldn't have been nervous at all, because as it turned out, she could not have been more warm, loving, humble, and gracious both times I had the honor of interviewing her. Dr. Angelou always asked me many personal questions about my work and life and treated me from the start like I was an old friend. I was immediately entranced by her beautiful, luminous spirit, which beamed through the phone, and also by her distinctive, unforgettable, commanding voice. In that first interview in 2008 for Huffington Post, we talked about a wide range of topics, including how moved she was by the election of Barack Obama as our first African-American president, the rising influence of women, the value of art in our society, her spiritual philosophy, her advice to people going through difficult times, and her opinion on whether humanity was experiencing an evolutionary shift to a new paradigm. Never very light topics when talking to somebody of, obviously, her wisdom and depth of experience. When I interviewed her again the second time in 2013, the year before her passing, and is the interview you're about to hear on this podcast, she was excited to talk to me about the inspiring book she wrote about her mother's important influence on her life, Mom and Me and Mom, as well as assorted other topics. We always used to cover a wide range, and she would always go wherever I wanted to take her on these interviews. A lot of what she talked about was, and and she not only mentioned her mother, but also her brother's influence, the idea that really not defining ourselves by other people outside us that might offer us a negative depiction of ourselves, but instead really relying on our own sense of self-worth and making sure that we are only listening to the positive influences in our lives. Here is our conversation, and you'll hear what I mean about the wisdom of not just her words, but the absolute power of her distinctive voice. You can really feel her heart and her sincerity in every word she says, and also just the beautiful eloquence. I mean, obviously she was a poet, so even when she just spoke about the things that were important to her, she just had such a beautiful way of stringing words together that really stuck with you, and to me, always seemed like poetry, whether it was in poetry form or not. What were some of the most important lessons that you think you learned from your mother that, you know, served you in your life that you think would also be relevant or helpful to other people today? Uh, I learned and I I just figured that out yesterday. (laughs) I learned that my mother was always on my side. That really liberated me because uh, when teachers or, or people in authority put me down, or tried to, in one way or another, tried to make me feel less than, than, than equal to what they thought I should be. 
my mother was on my side. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. And I really figured it out yesterday. And long after I'd finished writing the book and living the life of, of Vivian Baxter's daughter. Mm-hmm. But I realized that that's what, what allowed me to become the parent I did become. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been on my son's side. When uh, those in authority told me he had not done something or he had done something non-approvable, mm-hmm. uh, not, and, and I would ask him, will you tell me what you did? And usually the professor or the teacher or the principal would say, oh, no, no, we'll tell you. And I'd say, no, no. He, he must tell me. Mm-hmm. This concerns him. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my mother gave me that, which meant that I had the greatest support system in the world. She, she actually said, uh, Mrs. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, Eleanor Roosevelt, and my mother, she said, you're in that category. Mm-hmm. I was 22 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I, I used to... I would think about her. She said she was too mean to lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and she was very intelligent. Mm-hmm. So I thought, suppose she's right. Mm-hmm. Suppose I, I do have something. Suppose I am going to be somebody. And being able to have, see that vision of yourself through her eyes, you know, seems to be so important. We should all be so lucky to have someone like that. How do you think, you know, your life experience molded you into the person that you are today? In many ways, I became unafraid because of Vivian Baxter. I realized that she really was an incredible supporter. I don't think that you could have anybody stronger, mm-hmm. anybody. I mean, if, if you were the President of the United States or the King of, or Queen of England, mm-hmm. you couldn't have a person who would be more protective Mm -hmm. than my mother was for me, Mm -hmm. which meant really that I could dare to do all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I could even dare to be somebody. She told me when I was pregnant at 16, and she asked me, do you know who who the father is? I said, yes. I'd only had sex once. She asked, do you love him? I said, no. Mm -hmm. She asked, does he love you? I said, no. She said, in that case, we're not going to ruin three lives. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a wonderful baby. Mm-hmm. And she never once made me feel I had brought that shame on the family or I had done a, a terrible thing. She said, we, and she loved my son, which, of course, liberated me a lot, too. One thing that really moved me was when she talked about her mother and her mother's impact on her life, she talked about her with such absolute love and reverence, um, calling her by her full name, Vivian Baxter. And the idea that her support and this you know, way of always being on her side ultimately offered her liberation. And I've reflected a lot in terms of what that means, in terms of giving one liberation. And also, I think about that in how I parent my two daughters. And I think ultimately, what it means to me is she really liberated her daughter, who had been through so much in her life. 
to be who she was and to fulfill her potential and to be her her fullest self and follow her calling and and made her feel that she was special and had something to offer the world and really liberated her spirit. And I think the product of that, the fruit of that is Dr. Maya Angelou, is the person that she became, is all of the gifts that she offered to the people who were in her lives and the people who've been touched by her work. So the notion that that is the power of having people that support you, that are on your side, the transformative change that can bring to the world, that is incredibly powerful. You know, the other thing that comes through for me was a quality, you know, of of your own that you've always seemed to have, even in your ability to forgive her, that you always seem to have this unlimited capacity to forgive, whether it was your mother or the the man who had raped you as a a child or, or the injustices of the human race. You know, why do you is forgiveness important and what device do you have on forgiving? Because I feel like that can be hard for many people. I know it can be, but I think that it's the, the most impo- one of the most important gifts you can give to the human race is to forgive people. And, mm-hmm. and mind you, what you do, of course, is uh, you liberate your own self. You liberate yourself from, from carrying that weight around so that when you say, I forgive you, it's a giant gift. The gift is first to yourself because it means that you're not carrying, you're not toting that burden around mm-hmm. and saying, I, I'll never forgive you. And then, of course, that means you'll never be free. You'll never be at ease. You will be continually burdened. So I think that to learn how to forgive is a great a lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel I've never had that feeling that... Uh, I had to carry the weight of somebody else's ignorance around with me. Mm-hmm. And that was true for uh, racists who who wanted to use the N-word when talking about me or, mm-hmm. or about my people, or the stupidity of, of people who who really wanted to to belittle other folks because they weren't, they weren't pretty or they weren't rich or they weren't uh, clever. So I've never had that feeling that I I had to carry that around. That was somebody else's problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. And a part of that, I, of course, I learned from Vivian Baxter. And I also think that you always seem to be so in touch with, to follow your instincts, to kind of know who you were, which these days, I think, you know, there's so much pressure on people, especially girls and and young women, to conform, to be liked. Where do you think that kind of strength in your sense of self, your self-knowledge came from, and, and what advice can you offer on sort of developing into your authentic self so that you're you know, fulfilling your potential and, you know, living the life you were meant to. I have, I've had so much blessing. I've had my brother, who was brilliant. I think my family came closest to making a, a genius when they made my brother. Really, it was just all of that. He, and he loved me. He, and when, when other people laughed at me and called me dummy, he said, um, don't worry about them uh, calling you dummy. They're stupid. Uh, you're smarter than anyone here, except mm-hmm. me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and he was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
he told me that I was very intelligent mm -hmm. and uh, that I had to depend upon myself. But he knew more than most people. And if he said I was very intelligent, mm -hmm. I believed him. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, that was a big gift. Mm -hmm. uh, he also, I was six foot by the time I was 15. He was about five, four and a half. And he was beautiful to look at. Very black and his hair was curly. And he just, and he had the, the language, he, he just, he was all of that. And, and he told me that I, he said, you're a girl. You're not supposed to walk around like you have muscles and that. I'm, I'm supposed to hold a chair for you. I'm supposed to open the door for you. And, and then you speak softly. Uh, he, was, he was all of that for me. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, it was important for me uh, to not only have them, but to become. Suddenly, I also became the kind of supportive person mm -hmm. around other people. I became the kind of parent my mother was to me. Mm -hmm. I was on my son's side. I want you to know, both my daughters were so excited that I was going to be talking to you, which really says a lot. I mean, they've all learned about you and think you're really, like, one of the most inspiring people they've ever heard of. We're so excited. What would be your wish for, you know, young girls today? I wish they all had a mother like you. Aww. Oh, my God. So that they know they have protection and they have support. And even when they're wrong, it will be explained to them why they are wrong. Mm -hmm. not just put down. Mm -hmm. Regarding, you know, I know you um, recently founded a Center for Women's Health and Wellness, which was, you know, a beautiful thing to do. And certainly, you know, I do think, you know, women have so much that they're juggling these days and they're taking care of so many people, often, you know, at expense of themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, do you have advice or thoughts on creating health and wellness? How do you yourself stay centered and healthy and in touch with your core? Just, you know, any words of wisdom on that and, and why it was important to you to found that? My encouragement to all women is let us try to offer health before we have to offer therapy. Let's see if we can't prevent being ill. Mm -hmm. by, by trying to, to offer a, a love of, of prevention before illness. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that we don't have to wait to get sick and then try to find a, a way to heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's uh, do the right thing. That is really make, be on our own side. Mm -hmm. Get the, the mammograms. Uh, have all the the chances uh, with with our doctors and our and our health officials go there and see how how we're doing physically how we're doing in our, on our own health how how are we doing in vis-a-vis -vis our, our heart mm -hmm. how are we doing I, I think that that's the wisest thing mm -hmm. to to prevent illness before we try to cure something mm-hmm no, I completely agree with you. You know, sometimes the skips frames is just about equality. Women are still such a small minority, not only in Washington, but in, in, you know, corporate leadership. Why is it important that we have women's voices equally represented? Well, we have to uh, 
we need to be seen all over the place. I mean, we need to be seen as well as heard. Mm-hmm. It's not sufficient to uh, to say, well, we are here and we deserve. But we more than we deserve to be seen, we need to be seen. Because if we really think that the majority of, our, of women in the world are also always in the kitchen and in the in the kindergarten and uh, places just for to look after the the young and 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 men, then then we do ourselves and everybody a disservice. Mm-hmm. Because women offer so much more than it would seem we offer. It would seem we offer kindness and uh, the chance to to be cared for and nursed in more more ways than just medical. Mm-hmm. And I think that the whole country needs to know. That women are much smarter than see, we are more than that. Mm-hmm. We are that and more than that. Mm-hmm. And I know you said in our last interview we are growing up out of the idiocies, the ignorances of racism and sexism and ageism and all of those ignorances. Do you, you know, feel optimistic? How do you view, you know, the state of humanity's consciousness? And you know, what hopeful paradigms or shifts do you see emerging? Oh, I think so. I mean, I. I just look at you. Here we are, the second time you and I ta- are talking. Mm-hmm. This is fabulous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fabulous. I mean, the chances of you at Huffington Post and me as a, a writer and, and, and all that, mm-hmm. and a composer, and that the two of us should have a chance to talk again about the, the situation with our, in our country and with our, with our gender. I mean, that tells me a lot. And sometimes it's, people don't stop to just think, you know, we're sort of plowing through our lives in almost autopilot ways. Yes. And not even taking, you know, context of, of what, what, what is life about for you? What is sort of the, the meaning of it all? Well, I, I have a feeling that I, I make a very good friend, and I'm a good mother and a good sister, and a good citizen, I am involved in life itself, all of it. And uh, and I, I have a lot of, of energy and a lot of nerve. And and I find that I make friends with women, who are very much like me. Mm-hmm. They may be black or white or Asian or Spanish speaking. They may be young or old or pretty or plain. But if they uh, if they also have a sense of humor, have senses of humor, and uh, and and pizzazz, and uh, and dare to think that this is their life, and uh, and mm-hmm. they can take some some chances with it. Then it's very likely that we'll make friends, mm-hmm. and over time we'll talk about matters of pith and moment. You know, you speak to obviously so many audiences, but if you could speak to you know the world community. Looking out at, you know, humanity today, and, you know, we keep hearing whether it was what happened in Boston. I mean, there's a lot of stories that just can make one feel very concerned and, you know, hopeless. What message would you most want to say to deliver to humanity? I would encourage us to try our best to develop courage. It's the most important of all the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. Mm-hmm. You can't be, I mean, you can be anything erratically, kind, fair, true, generous, 
uh, all that. But to be that thing time after time, you need courage. Mm-hmm. And we need to develop courage, and we need to develop it in small ways first. Because, uh, I mean, you wouldn't want to, to go out and say, I'll pick up this 100-pound weight and without knowing your capacity. So you, you need to, to find, oh, I can I start by picking up a 5-pound weight, then a 10-pound weight, then a 25-pound. And sooner or later, I'll be able to pick up a 100-pound weight. Well, I think that's true with courage. You develop a little courage so that you decide, I will not stay in rooms where women are belittled. Mm-hmm. I will not stay in company where races, no matter who they are, are belittled. I, I will not take it. I will not uh, sit around and, and accept dehumanizing other human beings. If you decide to do that, you decide it in small ways. And so you say, no, I'm, I'm leaving. But you continue to do it. And finally, you realize you've got so much courage. Imagine it. You've mm-hmm. got so much courage that people want to be around you. Mm-hmm. They get a feeling that they will be protected in your company. I think the other thing that's really important to keep in mind and is so remarkable about Dr. Angelou is to remember that she was born in 1928. So she wound up, you know, living through the 40s and 50s. She was born in Missouri and at a time where, you know, racism was rampant. She was a victim of sexual abuse very early on in her childhood, which she wrote about in her very famous book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. There were so many factors around her that you would think would make her feel completely worthless and powerless. And yet somehow she managed to rise up to be the powerhouse person that she became. I think about the liberation that she says the support of her mother had delivered to her. But I also think about how often in our conversations and and just in her writings and her speeches, she would often talk about courage being the most important of all the virtues, that without courage, you can practice any other virtue consistently. And also that we needed to practice small ways of demonstrating courage first as a way to build to those bigger ways of manifesting courage. So she gave the example of leaving a room if somebody says a belittling comment about women or a racist comment, standing up in those small ways so that when it comes to bigger demonstrations of courage and and making bigger change in the world, you've sort of built that courage muscle. The other thing that I recall from my first interview was that there was this line, we may encounter many defeats, but we must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter those defeats to know who we are so that we can see that, yes, I was knocked down, but I rose. She really, think, took all of these ingredients, all of these sort of challenging obstacles that were presented to her that she had to grow up in and managed to somehow use them to develop her courage, develop her sense of herself and overcome them and and use them almost to like power herself to be the person that she wound up being in order to create even more transformative change because she had experienced those things, because she had been able to, as she said, been knocked down and she wrote 
rose and she kept rising stronger and stronger. And I think that is such a powerful thing, not just to remember about what she's accomplished, but for all of us as we go through our lives and we get knocked down or we feel fearful that, you know, this idea that you can use those type of experiences to grow and develop ourselves. And also we can start with just practicing those smaller ways of showing courage. Those lead to developing courage in much bigger ways. What do you hope people take away from your book and from the example of your life? Well, I hope they would take away the idea that they can be on the, the parents can be on the, chi- on the side of the, their children. Please be their supporters, mm-hmm. be their protectors, mm-hmm. and let them know that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you indulge and condone mismanagement and, mis- and, and bad action. Mm-hmm. But you, you can say, I'm on your side. Now, this is not acceptable. And the reason it's not acceptable is that it, you might get hurt in the management of the, in the action. But I'm on your side. I want you to do well. I love you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I indulge you. I, I have a sentimentality and a, and a kind of mush mm-hmm. uh, uh, attitude to you. It means I really love you. I want you to live a good life. What I hope you'll take away from my conversation with Dr. Angelou, and I think also the overall message that always resonated loudly through all of her wise words and teachings, was that we are all linked together by our common humanity, despite all the very false and destructive classifications that society often used to divide us, and the power of love and acceptance. And that love and acceptance is something that is not meant just for how we treat others, but for ourselves, that notion of being on our own sides. First and foremost, that's where it starts. I know that I will always be grateful for my special time with Dr. Angelou. I know I find myself reflecting on and quoting her wisdom often as I go through my life. You can ask my daughters, constantly referring to things that she said. And I hope that you too got something out of listening to our conversation, something that would help you and encourage you during your path, your personal path and your path as you're trying to make change in the world. Thank you for listening and for sharing these conversations with me. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened, arisen, uh, somehow made our ablution, seen other human beings and said, morning, how are you? Fine, thanks in you. It's amazing. Wherever that abides in the human being, there is the nobleness of the human spirit, despite it all, black and white. Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed a celibate, we rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like suns and like moons with the certainty of tides. Just like hope springing high. Still I rise. 
Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. <laughs> As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak miraculously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, naturally, there I go rising. You've been listening to Shift Makers. For more information about this podcast or our host, check out marianneschnall.com.